Good to see everybody here tonight. I sat as we were finishing that song thinking about how good the singing sounded tonight. I know we have a lot of folks who are gone on vacation. Uh, we want to pray for them and pray for their safe return. But we're so glad you're here tonight and we want to spend a few minutes studying from the prophet Micah. You know, I am convinced that if you and I want to be built up and torn down and built up again, we can study the prophets. Those great prophets provided for us a guidance of God's message. They rebuke the sin that is among us, and yet they hold out for us a wonderful privilege of what shall take place hereafter. I want to begin with an introduction by asking the question, have you ever had somebody lecture you and you, uh, uh, that you deserved and you know that they're telling you something that you need to hear? Well, that's what you have in the book of Micah. You have a prophet who's telling the people of God, you have failed God and God is going to have to deal with your sin. But afterward, he expressed a great hope for their future, great expectations and I like the way Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 19 puts it. He says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you would do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. I know you read that and you say, Well, what's he talking about? This prophetic word, you and I would do well to, to listen to it. To heed it because God has a plan. And that plan involves the day star arising in our hearts. There are three major messages in the book of Micah. Two weeks ago tonight we studied about the retribution. The fact that they deserve sin and God convicted them of that sin. And pointed out that they were suffering the consequences of what they were doing. Tonight, we're going to talk about restoration. And then, Lord willing, next Sunday morning, we're going to talk about repentance as the third part of this study. If you break down chapters 4 and 5, they break down like this. The promised kingdom in chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Then you pick up in verse 9 and he talks about here are some present concerns that you're going to have to deal with before that promised kingdom takes place. But then he returns back again to the prospective king in chapter 5, verses 2 through 15. What a great thought. He's holding out for us the coming of the Messiah. For us now, that's history. But for them, it was something of great prospect. Let's look at it as we start studying, first of all, these first eight verses. Brother David read for us very well just the first few verses, but I want to reread this and tie together what he is saying. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills and Peoples shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion 
shall the law go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all people walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, says the Lord, I will assemble the lame. I will gather the outcast and those whom I have afflicted, and I will make the lame a remnant and the outcast a strong nation. So the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from now on and forever. And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come, even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. Now these verses are filled with the prophetic imagery, the, uh, the figures of speech that the prophets used. And as you start looking at those figures, the first one is that of the latter days or the last days. It's a time when you have the fulfillment, the culmination of a great event. In this case, it's the kingdom, the coming kingdom. Do you remember in Acts chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, he says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel and it shall come to pass in the last days. Peter says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. The last days began on the day of Pentecost. Hebrews chapter 2, verses, or chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in the time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken unto us by his son. For them, they were looking forward to the coming of the kingdom and that's the last span of time for man here on this earth. But then he uses another figure, that is the mountain of the Lord's house. There's so much imagery in that, I, I can't take time to explore it all, but I want you to remember that in biblical times, most of the cities were built on a hill. You'll remember even the Lord in talking about influence, he said, a city that is set on the hill cannot be hidden. They did that so they could view their approaching enemies. The higher the mountain, the higher the peak, that's where they would want to find them. Well, Mount Moriah the temple mount, is figurative of the church. And there's going to be the use of that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, do you not know that you are the temple of the Lord or the temple of God? The Spirit of God dwells in you. Chapter 3, verse 15, he says, if I'm delayed, 
I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. Or Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, and he talks about you've been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. All this imagery, if you will, the, the mountain, and then the Lord's house being established on top of that mountain and above the hills. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. It will stand forever. We're talking about the building of a kingdom which cannot be conquered. Daniel 7, verse 14 And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. The same thing in verse 18 and verse 27, this everlasting kingdom. And what's going to happen, the people are going to say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of God of Jacob. And he talks about all nations, all peoples flowing into it. You know, under the Old Testament system, it was Jews. They were the ones who went to the temple. They were the ones who worshipped there. But this temple imagery includes all peoples from all nations. In Revelation 5, verse 9, you were slain and have redeemed to us, to God, by your blood, out of every tribe, and tongue, and people, and nation, for which I am incredibly thankful. You know, those of us who maybe are interested in our ancestry, we perhaps have spent a little bit of time trying to figure out who our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, where we derive from, and you know what we learn is that we're not Jews. And I am thankful that the Lord has made this house available to all people. There he says he will teach us his ways, John 6, verse 45, and they will all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Then he uses a phrase, out of Zion shall the law go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's where there's going to begin this kingdom, this nucleus, but it's going to spread. It's going to go into all the world, isn't it? You go to Luke twenty four forty seven that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Or Acts 1 and verse 8, you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. If you want to look at an outline of the book of Acts, that's it, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. The nature of this kingdom will be one of peace. The Lord's kingdom is not a warring group of people. In Isaiah 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born unto us, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus was not a man of war. He was not a man who sought conflict with others. 
And thus we're not a warlike nation. John 18 verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. John 14 verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And it goes on in John 16 and verse 33 and also says that in me you may have peace. In Romans 12 verse 18, those of us who are members of this great kingdom, if much is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. In Romans 14 19, pursue peace and the things which make uh, that, by which we may edify one another. Colossians 3 verse 15 talks about the peace of God ruling in our hearts. And that day will be a day of the lame, the outcast, the afflicted. I think about people like the eunuch who under the Old Testament system could never be able to go into the temple and there worship God. However, now because of the prophecy of Isaiah 56, he's now available to be able to go into and worship in a part of the Lord's kingdom. Matthew 11, verses 2 through 6, when John the Baptist had asked about Jesus, was he the one that was going to come or would there be another? Jesus said, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up. Oh, those are the miraculous things. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. Do you see the attractiveness of this promised coming kingdom? It's going to be a wonderful privilege. But now he then turns back to present concerns. Before the coming of this great kingdom, there's going to be some things that they're going to have to address. You begin with chapter 4, verse 9. Why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in your midst? Has your counselor perished? For pangs have seized you like a woman in labor. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in birth pangs. For now you shall go forth from the city, you shall dwell in the field, and to Babylon you shall go. There you shall be delivered. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now also many nations have gathered against you who say, Let her be defiled, and we will look, or I will look upon Zion. But they do not understand the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand his counsel, for he will gather them like sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise, thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron and make your hooves bronze. And you shall beat in pieces many peoples and will consecrate their gain to the Lord and their substance to the Lord of the whole earth. Now gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops. He who has laid siege against us, they will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. Now when you read that, he says now. In contrast to what's coming, what's going to take place in the last days, there's something that's more present and it's more troubling they're going to have to face some difficult days in the short term. I don't think any of us want bad news. 
but they deserve it. They've rejected God, and but they have to understand that not only is God going to punish, but God is holding out a hope for them. He says to Babylon, you shall go. This is a prophecy over 100 years in the future before they will go to Babylon. They do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They don't understand His counsel. God still has a plan for His people. How many of us are like that? How many of us do not always appreciate the fact that that God has a plan of what He wants to accomplish among us? Well, that brings me to the third part, and that is the perspective king. In my judgment, this is where you really start to appreciate. I mean, the coming kingdom, we have to appreciate that. We have to see what they're facing. But the coming king, let's look at verses 2 through 4, chapter 5. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth one to be ruler in Israel. Come forth to me to be ruler in Israel. Whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Blessed Bethlehem. Bethlehem's a little small community about five miles south of Jerusalem. Today it's become a fairly large city, but in biblical times it was one of the smaller cities of Ephraim and Benjamin. And we learn it was the birthplace of Rachel, or the burial place of Rachel. Genesis 35, verse 19, as uh, Jacob is coming back, it says, So Rachel died and buried her on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And we learn as we get to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, and the wise men are coming to worship Jesus and they want to know where to go. You've got to go to prophecy. And they said, We've seen his star in the east. We've come to worship him, verse 2. When Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered together the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said, in Bethlehem of Judea. And then they quote Micah chapter 5, and verse 2. You see, they knew that this was a prophecy of the coming king. And when Jesus was born, they know this is who he is. But you know, you think of a a little baby being born. But what we learn here from Micah is is that he is a ruler in Israel from eternity. His goings forth is from of old. How can you have a baby whose going forth is of old? When you read John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that is made or was made. You see, Jesus, when He was born to Mary in Bethlehem, that's not the beginning of who He was. 
No, he was with God in heaven. He will feed his flock. He's going to, like a shepherd, be able to provide the food for them. In John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and I'm known by my own. And he would cut off the real enemies. You see, the real enemies was for them to trust in their military might. Their real enemy was the mysticism that they had embraced. Their idolatry. You see, when the great king comes, all those things are now going to be a part of the past. Look with me at verses 9 through 15. I just want to highlight, if you will, for just a moment some of these things. Your hand will be lifted against your adversaries and all your enemies shall be cut off. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that I will cut off your horses from your midst and I'll destroy your chariots and I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down your stronghold. You know what he's talking about? People placing confidence in their physical prowess, their physical might. You think you can put your trust in horses and chariots and fortified cities. No, that's not what you're going to find. Verse 12, I will cut off sorceries from your hand and you shall have no soothsayers. That's talking about the mysticism. People who rely upon the occult. The children of Israel had often found themselves interested in that, just like some people do today. But then verse 13 Your carved images I will also cut off. And your sacred pillars in your midst, you shall no more worship the work of your hands. I will pluck your wooden images from your midst. I'll destroy your cities. I'll execute vengeance and anger on the fury of the nations that have not heard. God says, I'm going to punish you. Because I need to provide for you a king who's going to be able to lead you in a spiritual way. And to do that, you've got to be prepared for it. The answer to a people deserve to be punished was God's love. Here's what he's essentially saying to them. You have done things that deserve to be punished. But I have in prospect a promised kingdom. You're going to have to go through the punishment of your sins. But once you go through that, I've got a king who's going to be able to lead you in truth. It's like Romans 5, 6 through 8. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Perhaps for a good man would someone even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly just like that message of the Old Testament. The coming king and the coming kingdom was Jesus and the church. Yes, that same church of which you and I can be a part of. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, 10 and 11, he says that you know they sought, they searched carefully. They wanted to know when and where these things would take place. And he said, these are the things that you now enjoy. Now the message is just as special for us. For them it was, there's a coming kingdom and there's a coming king. For those of us today, Jesus is going to come again. In Hebrews 9, verses 27 28, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, 
So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Here's the, here's the thought for us. Jesus is coming again. And for those of us who are looking for him, eagerly awaiting and anticipating his come, there is a wonderful privilege and a great hope to look forward to. Now I ask you, is that your hope? Are you ready for the Lord's return? If the Lord were to turn right now, it would happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Would you be ready if the Lord's presence was here immediately? Or would you say, will you just give me a few moments? I need to prepare myself by being baptized to have my sins washed away. You have that opportunity now. Would you say, oh Lord, let me confess the sins that I have committed and let me be restored to faithfulness to you. You have that opportunity right now. What a great privilege God has provided for us. Have thine own way, Lord. If you need to respond, please come while we stand and sing together.